0: Hello, this is Stephen Krein, CEO and co-founder of Startup Health. I'm here with my good friend and partner, Dan Sullivan from Sheet Coach.
1: Yeah, uh, Steve, first of all, interesting times that we're living in right now because to say the least, the occasion of this podcast is we're all probably up at least waist high and the response to you know, the worldwide, it's a worldwide event. And in my, you know, 75 years, Steve, first time the country's been kind of shut down in the way it is. You've had other events, economic events, but you didn't get the social shutdown like we're getting today.
0: Yeah, and I think there's an element of this because of the different countries and how far ahead some of the other countries are to kind of see what's coming down the road that's kind of adding to it. But it's literally like a slow drip each hour of each day with more and more of the shutdown kind of taking place a lot slower than something like nine eleven, and others affected not only the country but the world.
1: I have a lot of people who are kind of in the high-tech Silicon Valley mentality that national borders don't matter anymore and we're all global citizens and it would be better if people can just go where they want to go and they don't get stopped at borders. And I said, well, this kind of tells you why borders are still important, you know, like it's very, very, very important. And I said, countries are very, very unequal in their capabilities to deal with emergencies and emergency events. And for the protection of your own people, you got to be able to give them a sense of safeguard that, you know, things are totally out of control. Because of transportation and tourism and immigration for one. So it's an interesting time a lot of big issues are coming out and being looked at when you have something like this.
0: Yeah, so we record our free zone frontiers podcast on a regular basis. This is going to be a special edition. I reached out to you a couple of days ago because you circulated like you have a couple of other times over the past 20 years your scary times success manual, which I found valuable in 2001 and I found this valuable in 2008 I think it you know underscores now a third cycle back to not only a timeless message but an important message for entrepreneurs and everybody who is thinking about not only what's going on today but somewhat along the spectrum of either being paralyzed to not doing anything productive with their days all the way through to flailing around and not being focused with their days. And so I asked to kind of walk through this and discuss this manual today because the health transformers and startup health, I know that everyone in the startup health community, much like the strategic coach community, is part of this same underlying kind of messaging, conversations, dialogue, support, and other issues that we could all benefit from kind of being together, walking through this and sharing the thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, I think the big thing is just speaking at it from the entrepreneurial standpoint, and all your startup health companies are entrepreneurial, that entrepreneurs, by the very nature of their choice in life, have to be a leader in response to new things. I was just making the distinction before we went on. We call a lot of people leaders, but they're actually just managers of current events. And as long as current events stay predictable, then they get very, very, you know, the spotlights on them and how good they are. But the moment that things become completely different and unpredictable, then you find out, you know, Warren Buffett has a great line. He said, it isn't until the tide goes out that you find out who's been swimming naked. And and, uh, I think you see leadership, leadership is, do you respond to this in a creative manner? Do you respond to this in a totally reactive manner? Do you go negative or do you say, okay, well, other people are going to go negative, so somebody's got to go positive on this. Somebody's got to start translating the new conditions into new strategies, into new approaches.
0: There's a subtitle of your manual that you wrote was Transforming Current Anxieties and Fear into Strategic Growth, Progress, and Achievement. I think therein lies the opportunity for this discussion today because, as I mentioned before we get on the call, we've got 325 companies in startup health, entrepreneurs, You know, co-founders, probably five 600 collectively, who probably fall on the spectrum of either able to do something every day to contribute their unique ability, their technology, their solutions, their company's efforts to either COVID-19 directly, to the pandemic response, to future pandemic responses. And then there's a whole bunch of others who either haven't yet gotten to figure out how they might contribute, but might be feeling helpless and almost so fearful and paralyzed that they don't know what to do. And so I can't imagine that doesn't represent almost the entrepreneurial world at large, which is those that believe they can do something, those that don't know how they can do something, and everybody in between. So, can we zone in on that a little bit around the notion of like the
1: range? I'd be happy to. I guess part of it, you know, you have to go right back to personality makeup. I was kind of born with a contrarian brain. So, Anytime the crowd is going in any particular direction, I know that the answer is in the other direction. So when there's a lot of panic, I go very cool. I go very, very, I tend to get more focused and more simple in my thinking when it's going that direction. And why that is, I don't know. But ever since I've been a kid, Dan just never goes along with the crowd. But generally speaking, I've surrounded myself increasingly, I think this is an important point that I'm making here, Steve, is that by and large, the people I hang out with are outliers, you know, and the least original and the least creative member of Strategic Coach probably sticks out as an outlier back home. Well, there's all sorts of kinds of outliers. There's outliers in how you make your money, but there's outliers in how you just respond to general events. People see this as a disaster, but I had people in last Wednesday in Toronto, and they said, the only thing I'm uncertain about is where the bottom of the market is, so I can really pile a lot of cash. All the cash I took out six months ago, I want to know when I get back in. So they were already ahead that something of a reversal or a correction was going to be had in the market. And their only uncertainty is, is this the low, low, or is there a lower, lower? So that's a totally different mentality to people who got blindsided by this. And they said, no, 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 that sort of thing isn't going to happen again in the way it has in the past, which is usually not a sensible attitude. But it's the first time it's been biologically triggered in the way that we're experiencing it right now. We've had like, energy as the cause for disruption, you know, energy supplies were cut off or weather, you know, I remember, you know, you had the experience yourself in New York City of Sandy, you know, that it yep. really disrupted the city and everything like that. But I think this one's in a different category. I was talking to Shannon this morning, and I said, you know, at the end of this century, it'll be looked back, this will be seen as a major event.
0: Yeah, Yep. no, definitely. And I think, Living through it with the tools, both social media and news cycles and some of those things obviously exasperated, but I think they also give new tools like connectivity and collaboration and others that can be used like we're doing today to disseminate the conversation to our communities. You created these 10 strategies 20 years ago. They're clearly timeless. These 10 strategies have a theme threaded throughout mm-hmm. about where you could spend your energy and how to spend your energy and your thinking time and it was really this notion of forgetting about something and focusing on something else can you talk about not only the genesis of you know what you did 20 years ago when you outlined these and then how you thought about this thread of forget about for example yourself and focus on others as kind of a thread for all 10 of the strategies
1: yeah, well, the trigger, Steve, was actually 9-11 itself, because I was in Chicago doing a, quite a big workshop. I had 60 in for the day. And our clients tend to fly into Chicago. They don't live in Chicago. So they come from the States. They also come from overseas. And we were an hour late time zone, so I hadn't tuned in the news that morning. I came to the office It was already an hour later, and I think both planes had hit the two buildings by then. So our team, one of our team members brought a television out, and they put it on the (laughs) concierge desk. And I walked in, I said, what happened? And they told me, I said, get that TV out of here. I mean, I said, you're just putting gasoline on a fire here. And then, you know, half hour later, or an hour later, we started the workshop. We had already put game plans and what we were going to do for the day. So Babs got the team members together. And there was another coach in, and this was Adrienne Duffy, and she had 40. So we had 100. we, We had 100 people. And I would say 90 of them had to think about transportation, think about their families. So I walked in, and I said, you know, when I was little, my mother told me about Pearl Harbor, what Pearl Harbor was like. I said, this is Pearl Harbor. You know, this is an attack, and it's closer to home. And I said, so in the next 10 minutes, you have to make a decision. You're either on your way home right now or you're here for the day. So it's going to be one or the other. It's going to be digital. It's going to be one or it's going to be zero. Mm -hmm. You can't be in between. You can't be here and thinking about going home. And you can't be going home and thinking about the workshop. I said, you got to make a decision. And that kind of set a dividing line for me. That the only people who get trouble are people who don't make a decision about how they're going to respond to it. And the first theme, I have the first strategy, I'm just reading it here forget about yourself, focus on others. So I said if you're going home, you got to prepare your mind of how you're going to be useful when you get home. But if you're here, use the day to handle yourself for the next 90 days because this may be the last time you can actually think about yourself and the rest of the quarter has to be how you're going to help your family, how you're going to help your friends, how you're going to help clients, customers, and so on. I started reflecting on that. And first of all, half the workshop was gone 60. Half the workshop was gone in 10 minutes. They went out. And our team got everybody transportation that day. Everybody got transportation. Now, some people bought a brand-new car, SUV, And they had a friend back home who was a dealer, and he says, yeah, I'll give you a good price when you get back home. That's their transportation. But we got everybody out. It was pretty much equal in the other workshops, so probably 50 out of 100, you know, they weren't doing a workshop that day. But I got thinking about it, and then we were especially sensitive over the next couple weeks to all of our New York area clients because it was ground zero, and, you know, we had some real serious situations. One client lost 215 clients that day. One of our financial advisors, they were at Kander Fitzgerald, which was mm-hmm. the big firm at the top, and he lost 215 clients that day. You know, we had some other stories where people were directly involved and new people and everything. So right off the bat, we said, as soon as, you know, it's possible and as soon as, you know it's convenient for everyone else we're going to go to New York and we're going to put on a special event for the New York clients which we did at the Four Seasons yep, I remember and uh, you know we had about 100 show up not all of them clients but their friends or family and everything else we brought everybody and I said I got to create something special for that so that was the genesis of putting together the 10 strategies and then we read through them but I had a kind of a worksheet where you could actually make The strategy specific to your situation, how would you do that? Who are the people that you're going to focus on? And just give, you know, a snapshot of each of the strategies as an actual game plan. It was a big hit. What we found was we kind of packaged it and put it in presentable form. And then we got a lot of requests for PDFs, you know, for the file. And we estimate just what we knew. This probably got distributed to a couple of million people in the next month or so. So that was it, you know, and then you went on, things kind of got normal, and you went on living, but 08, 09, you know, it's the same thing, and we got out, and what we noticed that it hadn't aged at all from one crisis to the next. There seemed to be something constant and useful about the strategies, regardless of what the crisis was, and we found the same thing A week ago two weeks ago with this one and you know i said i don't see any copy changes here it's kind of useful right now too
0: yeah and i I think that was my reaction when you sent it out last week i shared it with my community and got a lot of really positive feedback about people wanting to discuss the strategies i think it is important and i'm glad you just told that story because i think this is not something that you created you know two weeks ago and so not only does it stand the test of time but i think it underscores not only the underlying message of we're going to get through this but you can either lean in and be part of the solution or you could lean out and either isolate yourself or be a part mm-hmm. of the panic and so i'd love to run through just quickly the 10 yeah. and then go back and talk about a couple of them in particular but let's just read through each of the That's 10 it. and just because of time i want to do it up front yeah. and then we can come back to them but you talked about this first one, forget about yourself, focus on others. You touched on that. That's almost the most important first one, right? Yeah, it's, it is. The and I think make.
1: it's the, the others are kind of support strategies. To so the first one, if there was something right in the center, everybody's going to be thinking about themselves. And in doing so, they're not even going to be useful to themselves because they're cutting themselves off. So my whole thing is that there's kind of a muscle that you develop This, by the way, works just as well in normal times, (laughs) (laughs) but you have less urgency about it than normal times. But I say that all your value creation lies in what's happening in the other person's experience. It's not what you've created outside of their experience. And, you know, just finding through questions what's actually going on. And I've got a great story when we get deeper into it of an experiment I did with one quarter of people who didn't think about themselves for the whole quarter from a cash flow standpoint, but just focused on how they could be useful to their clients. And as a result of that, had the best cash flow quarter that they ever had as a result. Yeah. Of that. So there's a bit of magic in this concept. But for example, we're making sure that every day we're touching all of our team. We have 135 team members. We're in forward locations from Los Angeles on the west to London, England on the on the east. And all of our program advisors and our salespeople are in touch with as many clients as they can every day and ask them how things are going. Any tools you need, any podcasts you need, any videos you need, we'll get it. And the big thing is to give a perception to them that we're constantly thinking about them, we're constantly thinking about them. And there's the reality of that, which is not a hundred percent every day, but there's the perception of it, which can be a hundred percent every day, yeah,
0: you know it's interesting, I think that in the last couple of weeks, the people who have been the most helpful to others and seemingly just naturally have it as part of their mindset are physicians and clinicians. I think okay. more doctors and you know my brother and others in my family are physicians, but friends and strategic coach members. And a lot of our community is made up of MDs and PhDs and clinicians who are born focusing on others, or at least, you know, their DNA is really focusing on others, not themselves. And they kind of hit the ground running, trying to be helpful right away with trying to disseminate accurate information, trying to disseminate helpful information, and not adding necessarily to try to add to the panic, but to try to add the helpful information to counterweight the negative or the inaccurate information.
1: Yeah, I agree with that totally. But even then, it's not so much expertise that's the issue here, it's interest. Your expertise will be useful to the degree that the other person feels understood, you know, that listening's a terrific skill. Everybody hears, but not everybody listens. So one of the tendencies is not to be an expert on a situation that no one's ever experienced before.
0: We'll come back to that because yeah. that's an interesting comment about how people are focusing on others or at least attempting to focus on others. And like you just said, there's some distinctions there. So number two, forget about your commodity, focus on your relationships.
1: Yeah. And I'm using commodity here, Steve, in the more general sense that we all have something to sell. For some of us, it's more tangible and it's kind of like a product for some of us uh, service. But the whole thing is that In this particular situation, a lot of this is just coming to an abrupt halt. There is no transactions that are really, really going on. As a matter of fact, you're discouraged from person-to-person transactions. We're into a point where you're going to have to do this digitally. You're going to have to do this virtually. But the whole point is our commodity is our workshops where people show up to. And right off the bat, we said, you know, this is just not acceptable when The attitude is that transportation is adding to the problem. That you know, being in large groups is adding to the problem. So we got to cut this out. So that commodity, which is really the backbone of our financial success of our company, we've got to suspend that. Okay, but if you look deeper at what we do, it's what happens at the workshops that's important. It's not really the workshops itself, and it's actually the ability to help people in some way to think about their thinking. How are you thinking through this situation? We've actually developed some great skills over the last five to 10 years, especially Zoom. I mean, everybody talks about their favorite technology, but Zoom has been (laughs) the greatest impact technology that's showing up right now that we've developed, you know, in the lifespan of our company. You know, email and everything else, all good. But there's something about Zoom that really makes people feel together and so we're just doubling down on our use of Zoom I mean
0: yeah. yeah we are too and there's some really interesting similar technologies for smaller groups we're using one called Circles now started by a YPO member and we've rolled these out for hundreds of our entrepreneurs to gather in groups of 8 to 10 so smaller uh-huh. groups circular setup so that everybody's kind of able to feel as truly Consistent with what they would feel if they were physically together. Um, And he's done a terrific job of recreating some of the dynamics of replicating the physical world in a virtual world. And so, yes, these technologies, and I think we're living in a world where relationships can really be strengthened and even built regardless of where they physically are. So, just being there for your community and being there for your friends and being there for your family using technologies kind of touches on number two really well. Number three, And maybe it's a little consistent with two, but it has a different dimension. Forget about the sale, focus on creating value. And you just mentioned this, you know, very little transactions taking place in Um, a lot of ways right now. So forget about the sale, focus on creating value. What does that mean to you?
1: Well, the big thing is value is determined in terms of the other person's aspirations. It's not determined on the basis of your aspirations. Okay. And Steve, one of the you know, the really anchor concepts that supports us in Coach is the DOS, you know, that you ask an individual, you push them into the future, see them visualize them in the future, you know, and it's bigger and better saying what's the biggest and best future you can visualize right now. And then what could pose as obstacles right in the closer future that you have to transform over that period of time. And that's completely original, unique information from the mind of the person you're asking the question. You're not telling them what their aspiration should be. You're not telling them you know, what they should be watching now. You're just asking them the question. If you had things the way you wanted them, and it was this date in the future, and we like to use three years, how do things have to be looking back so you feel really happy with your progress, both personally and professionally? And you're just sitting there and you're listening and it has nothing to do about you. I mean, it's just nothing about you. You're just getting over in their other world and helping them navigate their own world. And then you come back. So what, is there dangers? You could lose something. Are there opportunities that you need to capture? Are there strengths that you need to maximize to be that person that you're looking for in the future? I just, wanted to say that's where all value creation ultimately lies it's not in the creation of a product or a service that you're in love with and you want other people to fall in love with it it's really a future that other people create and you're either useful or non-useful in relationship to that future helping people get to their futures
0: do you think the time horizon changes during times like this is this one of those times where 30 60 90 one year you know, days, hours. weeks, or months. 24 yeah, or 24
1: hours. I mean, some people are so paralyzed that the only future they can think of is this time tomorrow. And you say, okay, well, let's start with this time tomorrow. What's better? What are two or three things that you can actually resolve right now? And it's the old thing when somebody dies or they, you know, it happens a lot around funerals. It happens around someone they know is seriously sick or in an accident, and you say, if there's anything you need, please give me a call. And I said, you haven't helped the person by doing that. You've added to their burden. So with everything else they have to do, now they have to think of a way for you to be useful. They've got to make up a way for you to be useful. Why don't you say this to them instead, saying, if there's one thing I could handle for you over the next day, what would it be? And they said, cheese, could you pick up my dry cleaning? And you say, good, yeah, you know, and you do it and you bring it back and say, okay, what's another thing, one thing? Because everybody can think of one thing that they need. They can't think of how to make you useful. You've given them an impossible burden, you know. You're loading on. You're not helping. You know, and I have people who are on the spectrum that are in our company. You know, Some people are really scared for a variety of reasons. There's no specific reason for it. Everybody, to a certain extent, is kind of alone with their own emotional system. They're alone with their own thinking during this period of time. And I've had whole days where I had two really terrible setbacks, one a divorce, one a bankruptcy, and it happened on the same day. And I got up the next morning, and I was struck by how this really didn't bother other people. <laughs> you know, I mean, other people seem to be unburdened by the fact that I was going through yep. a really terrible. And I said, "Well, that's generally true. People like to be helpful and everything like that. They're not going to go out of their way to make you feel more uncomfortable. But they're living in their own universes." Okay. And but, the ability to get out of your universe and get yeah. into someone else's universe is really the key here.
0: Yeah. And how do you think that plays when, unlike a divorce and bankruptcy, which only affected you, everybody you know in your family, in your community, in your client base are going through a similar variety of things as a result of whether it's the panic or actually being impacted wow. by what's going on right now?
1: Well, I think there's a great inequality in terms of the support networks that you have. You know, I mean, I think it's unique. I just have consciously invested in support networks, like I invest in, you know, financial security. I've invested in, you know, do the people around me, how do they respond to crises? How do they respond to their own personal crises? How do they respond to shared difficulties and challenges? And I have a ranking, you know, and the first go-to that I go to is people who are already over the immediate shock and they're on to the creative stage. I would say you're one of them, Steve. I think you flip very, very fast, you know. But, you know, I've talked to other people who are very creative and they're coming up with conspiracy theories, you know, right now. And I thought, oh, come on, don't do that. Don't do that. I said, this is all made up. We have... Authorities in our country whose job is to kind of protect us against this stuff, you know I mean, it's not like nobody's in control I said there's millions of people who are in control of something. The big thing yes. is, is to get them to talk to each other You know, yeah,
0: the collaboration and I think therein lies a good segue to number four Which is forget about your losses focus on your opportunities yeah,
1: the losses are gone. You know what I mean? Boom! <laughs> you know, I mean, and losses cover the gamut. That's not just one kind of loss. We have one a little later. It's about your future is gone. So I was doing a podcast with Shannon this morning on this particular issue, which is going to be going out in the next couple of days. And I said, you know, a week ago I was in a workshop, and I was expecting that a week later, namely today, I was going to be in a workshop. That was my future. And that future disappeared for the next three months over the weekend. So I gotta make up a new future. Well, it's the same thing. I have losses. So we're gonna lose a quarter's worth of cash flow. Well, it's gone. It's gone. Thankfully, we, we've got a lot of reserves and we can handle it. So so it's gone. And I remember Victor Frankel wrote man's mm-hmm. the first, first, day, for meaning. first day at Auschwitz, the death camp. And he and his wife were on the same train car from Vienna. And as soon as they got off the train car, she was separated and put into the line, which was they were going to be killed right away. And he was put in the work line. And after they had shaved him and given him a striped uniform and everything else, he realized that they hadn't spotted his wedding ring. He took it off and threw it away. He says, that's gone now. She's in my heart. And she said, I can't have this because that's all about the past. She's already gone. And he said, I'm dead if I don't accept that she's gone. You know. And I think that's what kills people is the hanging on to the past when something brand new has come along.
0: So that's a powerful example of forgetting about your losses. I think today there are lost futures, there's lost financial. Security or cash flow confidence, things you just mentioned. Lost careers. Lost careers. I think what's interesting is that that actually is supported by the fifth strategy because it's about, okay, so now that you've forgotten about your losses or you're forgetting about your losses or your focus opportunities, how do you forget about your difficulties and focus on your progress, which is number five?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, everybody's got a full supply of <laughs> Difficulties, so it's not an interesting subject, except for your willingness to go past them and to see progress ahead. You know, and one of the things I've studied over the years, Steve, not that I have any formal training in psychiatry and psychology, I've really studied that. And it seems to me as we've gotten 50 to 100 years down the path where there was seen enormous need to go back into people's past and get them to talk about their past. They're finding, with the exception of extreme trauma, where you can actually use hallucinogenic drugs now to actually have people go back and be in the experience and actually allow their mind to actually come to grips with what actually happened to them. I would say that more and more the emphasis on they have to have a goal. They can't transform themselves. If they don't have an external goal, that's a measurable goal. So with the difficulties, yeah, 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 you got difficulties, I got difficulties, everybody's got difficulties. But if you rub all the difficulties in the world together, it doesn't produce one step forward of progress for anybody. And they found that very, very interesting with the nine eleven counseling group, the grief groups after nine eleven. Mm-hmm they studied them and they studied people who went into a group and stayed in a group. And 10 years later, the people in the group hadn't made any progress. And the people who went out and got remarried and got other jobs and moved to another city actually had made tremendous progress because they had put out tangible measuring sticks in front of them. You know, new relationship, gotta find a new occupation, we have to move, we have to find new schools and everything else where the others were just going back over the day again. They were still caught within the first three months. So there's a point where you've got to tell the truth that you're in pain, but then you say, well, what's going to get me out of the pain? I've really, really studied the Holocaust. I mean, my mother, when I was six years old, told me about it. She said, you should study this. You should read about this. I'm not Jewish, I'm Roman Catholic, and a lot of Roman Catholics were in on the <laughs> committing of the Holocaust. But we went to the, when we were in Israel, in Jerusalem, we went to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust museum, and afterwards our guide had set up to meet a 90-year-old man who had been in Auschwitz for four years, and he had seen his family actually executed by the Germans. When he was 87, he was 90 when I met him. He had gone to a therapist, and he said, you know, I've got this hole inside me. And she said, well, how long have you had the hole? And he said, since I was 13 years old. And he told the story, you know, of their parents being taken out of the house and executed. And then he was taken, you know, for some reason and sent to Auschwitz. And as a 13-, 14-year-old, he survived for four years, so he must have... Had great luck or he had some great skills, but anyway, he ends up in Israel and he never tells anybody the story. So the therapist said to him, you know, you should tell people this story. He said, well, will it make me feel better? And she said, no, probably won't make you feel better, but it's a story that needs to be told. Yep. So he started telling the story and it was like he was describing the story of someone else. He was telling the story, you know, this happened, this, no emotion, you know, no tears or anything else. And at the end, I said, to, can I ask you a question? Do you ever feel any revenge, feelings of revenge towards the Germans? And he lit up and he had a smile and he said, I'm 90 years old. I'm living in a country called Israel and I have 27 great grandchildren.
0: Yep. It shifts everyone's mindset into a different zone i found interestingly enough over the past 10 days we started with six of our companies sharing the stories of progress of shifting into helping organizations governments foundations with covid19 either directly or with you know indirect help many of them were first to move to thinking about how they can help and share the progress with others That story, which was originally six of our health transformers, turned into 10, and then 15, 25, now 36. We've had dozens of entrepreneurs be inspired by those stories, and now it's becoming a snowball of almost every day releasing an update to that story and sharing the progress, not only of these organizations that are set up to be able to contribute their unique abilities or capabilities to... The pandemic, but also really shake others into a different form of action. So it's not just for yourself and for your own mindset, but how it impacts others reading about you sharing your progress.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, the big thing, I mean, and, you know, I hadn't really thought about it until I was recounting the story that he had something of value that was good for other people to receive, regardless of how he felt about it.
0: Yeah.
1: Yep. He wasn't telling the story for himself. He was telling the story because it's a story that should be heard. It should be told and it should be heard as widely as possible. And my feeling is probably bought himself another five years of life. uh,
0: I was just going to say to be 90 plus years old and to have both lived through, but been able to articulate the story to others is a powerful way of contributing to others. Number six is about forgetting about the future and focusing on today And it's interesting because that's, you know, a lot of times we talk about the opposite, which is, you know, you might have a 25-year vision and focus on the next 90 days. But what do you mean when you say forget about the future and focus on today?
1: Well, I put the future in quotation marks because most people have what I would call a passive future. It's not a future they created, but it's a future that other people said that you could expect. You know, we're going to have an election this year and, you know, it's probably going to be like this. When we do this, and the market's really good, and you know, so, and there's a what I would call a general narrative that nobody actually created, but they more or less accept that this is the way things are going to go. And in an instant, an event like this can take away that future. And I think a lot of the panic was they had a future and the future disappeared. But unfortunately, it wasn't a self authored future, it wasn't a specific future, they were just part of a general future, you know. And the key about this is the future you put together from now until you go to bed tonight is probably more specific and more useful than the future you expect of your next five years or 10 years just in your life. But it's kind of like everybody else's future.
0: Yeah. And I think this one in particular resonates today, you know, in each day that we're living through this as a global community, but also as more connected communities like strategic coach community or startup health community. Yeah.
1: I mean, we had a person who's not even connected to coach, but he's got a big network and they're all entrepreneurs. It's a hundred thousand entrepreneurs. And we got an email. Would it be okay? Because we had sent him the scary times success man. He says, would you mind if I sent this on to the other hundred thousand people? well, All of a sudden, we say, Well, who's got the big networks out there? Maybe if we just contact them personally and just say, You know, people are sending out these networks and they're getting tremendous feedback for it. Well, that was a change that happened just because of a message around five o'clock yesterday afternoon. I said, Whoa, whoa, whoa. And I said, If they like the print version, you know, the PDF version or whatever it is, what if we send them out, you know, my conversation with you? By the way, we just send it up? say, if you like that, you'll really like this.
0: You know, that was the impetus for me suggesting we get on and do this podcast episode because I want to, and I was actually thinking about this as we were going through these. I think there's multiple conversations we can have about these and how I think they will help everybody deal with the hour by hour, day by day, I think roller coaster of emotions and feelings and actions and also external things that are kind of coming at them. I want to make sure we get to the last few here because forgetting about who you were, focus on who you can be. Yeah. Um, you touched on this earlier, but I want to kind of circle back to this because this is one that I think is going to really resonate with the entrepreneurs in my community who were already working on innovation in healthcare. And quite honestly, for the last couple of decades, there's been a tremendous amount of resistance towards these new technologies, yeah. towards digital, towards telemedicine, towards data that the traditional healthcare system was resisting and rejecting. And I think in an instant, those companies now have, forgetting about a new lease on life, they have an important purpose to present their solutions and not be stuck in the 20 years or 10 years or five years of getting beaten up like they have been about their solutions coming to market.
1: There's a useful exercise specifically related to the particular innovation or the particular market they're working on. How does this change everything? And I mean, there's a good exercise. How does this change everything? Compared to three months ago, how do you think things will be three months after that? And I think you'd get some tremendous fast-forwarding of people's plans that would come out of this exercise but i was just thinking i'm a big history buff and i just completed probably the best history of the pacific war the americans against japan it starts with pearl harbor and pearl harbor was really decisive you know it lasted total maybe less than an hour the entire attack was less than an hour but the entire future of the us navy changed in that hour because the admirals who were in control of the navy going back 50 60 years were the battleship admirals you know the future of warfare there was a great book one of the greatest books about naval that the future belongs to battleships bigger the battleship the better mm-hmm. the future and in an hour the japanese using aircraft carriers had knocked out five or six of the major battleships it was the pacific fleet went was badly damaged, or it was at the bottom of Pearl Harbor, the only offensive capability they still had was the aircraft carriers, but from that point to the end of the war, they created 113 more aircraft carriers, and just maybe a dozen or so battleships, because everything had changed, and basically it was that new technology, the aircraft carrier that has ruled ever since but how fast things can actually change with a, a change of what happens in the world. And my feeling is there's an enormous number of backburner innovations. Your world would be a great example. Yep. I mean, if you take your 320 companies, how many backburner innovations are being developed? Hundreds, yeah. hundreds. Yeah, hundreds.
0: Yeah. Hundreds, and every day the human ingenuity around even, reimagining what they were working on for this purpose
1: suddenly they become front burner you know yeah well the 1930s which was the worst economic period in the history of the united states in the 20th century was one of the most innovative and the reason is that while the old stuff is not getting us out of the dumps why don't we try some of the new stuff you know and so many really extraordinary breakthroughs happen when the economy was at its worst because you weren't risking cash flow because there
0: wasn't any cash flow that's the thing i mean and there's an important you know shut off switch or light switch almost that you need to do to stop either telling yourself or remembering all those things that were said to you whether it was weeks or months or over the last couple of years about your solution if you're an entrepreneur Trying to sell and bring telemedicine or digital solutions that were being resisted by the big bureaucratic healthcare system that was stuck in the past, you kind of can't let that affect what you're about to say. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting because in education and in healthcare today, there was a switch flip overnight remote learning, remote monitoring, remote healthcare really being ushered into existence and almost at an urgent level that is going to change the way we all work and live and get healthcare and get educated.
1: Well, it was funny because last Monday, I did workshops in Chicago for the whole week, but on Monday is healthcare day in Chicago. So Northwestern University Hospital is our center for a lot of different specialties. And I went to a hematologist. (laughs) It's so funny because it's the top four, twenty first floor, and I got up there, and, and the waiting room is packed with about eighty, from my perception, of coughing old people, and I was <laughs> sitting, and I was sitting in, the, in there, and I said, "Wow!" I said, "I'm going to push for a private elevator, you know, to get to these appointments." Yep. And I went in, and I talked to a hemato- terrific hematologist. I mean, just amazingly useful to me. And she said, "Look," she says, "You've got something." that you're gonna have forever, and it's not gonna kill you. So she said, I'll tell you that right now, but it bears watching, and we're gonna do some very latest blood tests that we just have right now, and there might be some treatment you can make, and she said it's not an onerous treatment, but it bears watching every three months from now on, so you should probably be getting blood tests with this particular malady. It was really, really great, but I was just thinking that I could have done without the 80-person waiting room in that experience.
0: Oh, yeah. And that's what we're seeing ushered in. Mental health has been using it for a number of years, mental health professionals and others. But I think telehealth and telemedicine and, you know, where possible, either remote testing, remote monitoring, televisits are going to be the way people expect to now interact with their healthcare professionals where possible. And then it obviously reduces the burden of the physical locations to free them up for more things that require it. So I want to touch on these last three because, you know, this one's a hard one. Forget about events, focus on your responses. It seems as though the news cycles are getting, you know, shorter and shorter, even if they weren't short enough. And so everything feels like breaking news, a breaking event, new information, I want you to define, or I'd love you to define this notion of forgetting about events and focusing on your responses when it's happening on a daily or throughout the day basis.
1: Yeah, well, they're not looking for responses. They're looking for reactions. And there's a world of difference between a reaction and a response. What is the difference to you? Well, first of all, a reaction is entirely emotional. A response is intellectual. Okay. In other words, oh, that's interesting information. Okay. So what am I going to do with that information? Reactive is totally panic. They're looking for panic, but panic you can't do without. In other words, that was last hour's panic. I need a fresh, you know, I need a new infusion of panic. And part of the reason is that the news media is panicking right now because the news media, by any definition of an industry, has been in a recession now for five or six years in mm-hmm. terms of layoffs. You know, if you went to the New York Times building, which 25 years ago was packed from ground level up to the top, half the fours are empty. And news media, there's nothing good about what's been happening in the world for, you know, the last 10 years. Google and Facebook have just murdered them because they've taken away all the ad dollars. Harvey Weinstein is in prison today simply because the New York Times couldn't be bribed with Miramax ads anymore, you know, I mean, he was putting through four or five million dollars worth of ads through the New York Times. They had this article on him, going back 10, 12 years, but it could never come off the shelf because his lawyers would show up and say, you know, we can move that four million dollars of advertising to someone else. Well, Google and Facebook moved it to someone else and he was exposed. It'd be interesting to just tell the story how Lonnie got protected because of his ad budget at the New York Times. <laughs> yeah.
0: So is the muscle here, as you consume the news and the media, and maybe it's about not consuming the news and media, or no. like you do, shutting off you know, the 24-7 version of it and actually reading it afterwards to have it curated and filtered. Yeah, I actually flattened it
1: out. You know, I mean, to use a current term right now, I flattened out the curve is that thoughtful people have thought about this over the last 24 hours and put it into a printed form with, you know, a beginning, a middle, and an end. So I'll read that, and I consume it, but I'll read more than one. I'll read two or, Well, that's an interesting point of view. This is an interesting – you don't get that with a news cycle. There is no alternative point of view, and it's not a point of view anyway. It's a shock. They're giving you a shock to the system – Mm -hmm. Because the remaining ad dollars they have depend upon you getting addicted to the shock, you know, and then passing it on through. So the event is the big event that this is happening, and it hasn't happened before. The other events that go along with this aren't really that important, you know. I mean, you have government regulations that come down, you know, the cutting off of travel overseas. and you know, other businesses that you might have been going to and planning to go to or shut down and everything. Those are events, but they're part of the big event. They're just a further playing out of the big event. So, you know, it's your choice how much you want to let the world shock you. (laughs) You Yeah. My goal primarily is that I happen to the world. The world doesn't happen to me. You know, to do that, I say, well, I'm going to create new value that you know kind of makes the present way and you're doing that in such a major way if you take the entire innovative impact of your network you know there's five or six hundred better ways of doing things on the drawing board some of them are already out being tested and they're being tested with check writers
0: love it thank you i agree but i love hearing it come from your mouth Thanks a lot. We'll check back in,
1: but we're going to get these two episodes out to everybody in your community, and we'll get it out to everybody in our community. Thanks a lot, Steve.
0: Absolutely. All right, Dan, great chatting. Take care.